deep in the backwoods of America. We have climbed the highest mountains, searched the densest forest, dragged the swamps, and scoured the prairies to find our leader, retired U.S. Marine gunny, Bud Cornwell. Welcome back, Patriots. This is the Gunny, and you're on the Patriot Cause. Got a wonderful guest today. He's a legislator. Hey, don't throw rocks till you listen to this great man. He is a patriot of America. He attended an event that we're going to talk about on the podcast today. His name is Jeff Deal. He's a former House member of Massachusetts, and I thank him so much for being on the podcast today. Welcome, Jeff. Glad to have you. Hey, bud, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, that was a great event. You were a big part of making that happen. So really was an honor to be invited to go to it. Happy to talk to everybody who's listening today about it. And uh, if you don't know about Convention of States, I think you really need to take a moment to learn a lot more. And I'll I'll give you the insight I had from the simulation. Absolutely. So those of you that don't know, we actually had a Convention of States simulation in Williamsburg, Virginia, the first week of August. 49 states were represented. So it just gives you an example, the hunger of America trying to do something, whatever it may take to get control of this federal government. And this is really what Convention of States is. It's really Article 5 of the Constitution. And those of you that don't know, most of you probably do, Article 5 allows the Constitution to be amended in two ways. One, the standard way that everybody's used to, where Congress, you know, all of those people get together and decide we've got to make some changes to the Constitution. Of course, they vote on it and pass it. And then it's got to go out to all the states. Then all the legislators have to come together, look at that amendment and pass it through that legislation. And then it becomes part of the Constitution. This is what most of us understand how this operation works. And I guarantee you today, if we had the legislators that are there want to change the Constitution of the United States, what they're going to come up with is going to be a lot different than <laughs> what the people would. So what we did was took part two of Article 5, where the U.S. citizens, in other words, the states represented it the states that are representing citizens in that state come together. We work in committees. We determine what our constitution should change to or be amended to or propose. Remember, these are proposed amendments until they actually get ratified. And so we had all these representatives and they're actually called commissioners. And a commissioner could be a legislator. It could be a doctor, it could be a lawyer, it could be former legislators, just like Jeff. And we got together. So, Jeff, tell us what happened. Well, first of all, you know, again, your explanation is perfect. What people don't realize is that it takes 34 states to call for the convention of states. So it's not something that can just happen willy nilly. You know, some people think that, oh, you know, if uh, Republicans have control of the House and Senate, they could just do something like this. No, it's actually, like you said, coming from the states, which means that the people of each state who feel like the federal government has not following the original charter of the uh, Constitution, they get together and they say, hey, let's get enough of us states together to make this happen. And so it takes not just 34 states to uh, call for the Convention of States, a real one, but it also takes 38 states 
to ratify it. So again, if the 34 states um, you know, made a mistake or something like that, which I don't think they would have, because then when he sent these people, then those people that go there, again, a lot of them aren't going to be friendly towards the convention of states. Their state didn't call for it, perhaps. So they're not going there as a friendly. But ultimately, you still have to win over four more states just to get what was done uh, passed by all the states. So there really is a high hurdle to make it happen. And and that's why it was really great. Mark Meckler and uh, the people of Convention of States did an excellent job of selecting commissioners from around the country. All it takes is one commissioner from each state to vote. But uh, what you all did was have two different uh, people come so that there could be at least some uh, you know, good back and forth within each state of what those amendments being proposed would affect the state. So you have a little bit of debate there. It's not just one person deciding. And truthfully, any state could send any number of delegates to a convention of states. They only get one vote, but it is good to have people with rounded knowledge in different areas, uh, judicial, uh, commerce, um, education. You know, Any of these potential uh, amendments might need some expertise in that area. So again, it'll be important when the real convention of states happens that there are people who are experts. And one reason I think that's why you picked former legislators, a lot of them that were there were former legislators or current legislators, because they know the parliamentary procedure, they um, have been dealing with uh, budgets. They've been dealing with uh, policy issues on all these different areas. The funny thing, but people don't know about this. I'm from Massachusetts. I'm from a small town called Whitman, Massachusetts. And I was, uh, I ran in 2010. I, I was 40 years old. I'd never run for office before. I'm not a lawyer. I just was somebody who owned a small business with my wife and we were fed up with Massachusetts and the high taxes. And uh, we felt like our education system wasn't working for our kids. So I, I, ran against an incumbent and uh, I beat him. And I ended up serving uh, four terms, eight years in office. I uh, left on my own accord. I actually uh, was uh, nominated and ran for US Senate against Elizabeth Warren in 2018. And then I ran for, I was nominated and ran for governor in 2022 for Massachusetts. Now I wasn't successful in those last two races, uh, but I did during my time in office do things like I led a ballot question in Massachusetts to stop our gas tax from going up automatically without a vote. So I have a history of basically trying to get a read on what the people want and then try to translate that to action up on Beacon Hill where our capital is in Massachusetts. And that's the kind of people that attended the convention of states is people who are leaders in their communities, in their states, who understood where the rubber hits the road and said, the federal government is either overreaching or overspending, or they're not listening to us when it comes to what we are demanding as states, for example, Border states uh, along the southern border, I'm sure, would love to have more of a say when it comes to immigration policy. Um, but again, they're being shut out. Western states, uh, as we discussed during this convention, uh, would love for the federal government to divest itself of a lot of land. You can't get oil out of Alaska in a lot of places because the federal government won't open up the oil fields. So if they did that, you would empower our country to even be greater, you know, greater wealth, greater uh, success in those states that have that. Those resources would certainly do do even better. So. The point is, I think uh, there, there's going to come a time when we're going to have a convention of states. It's just it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, because the federal government, as you know, Bud, just continues to spiral out of control as far as not listening to the people. And these presidential election cycles really just highlight the fact that nobody's listening. Oh, absolutely. The other thing is this. What makes the convention of states process that we're talking about important is the 34 states that are passing the resolution to actually conduct this convention are very restricted to certain areas. And the verbiage of those resolutions are identical. The main, the main parts of those 
or identical. So there's only three things, three areas in which the convention can even talk about. People are afraid. Well, they're going to, you know, throw out the Second Amendment. It's not. It can't even <laughs> be discussed. If somebody even tries to bring that to the convention, out of order, in in the conversation. And first off, you're going to have to get through a committee. <laughs> that's right. And, so yeah. So that's really that was really interesting. In fact, the three subcommittees that uh, were were put in place are the Fiscal Restraint Committee, the uh, States' Rights versus Federal Overreach Committee, and then um, the one on I believe it was Judicial. Uh, was the third. Yes. Uh, yeah, yes. that's right. That's correct. And uh, I wasn't on that committee. I was on the uh, the overlap. So we spent now again, I'm so proud that uh, I was invited because it took a lot of, I'm sure, hard work, energy and fundraising to be able to bring two delegates from every state. I know Rhode Island didn't make it. And by the way, for historians, ironically, the first convention of states that was called Rhode Island didn't actually make it there either. That's, that's uh, interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it was interesting. A little uh, mirror of history there. But the, the fact is they brought uh, brought us in and set us up for two days. One day was to simulate the convention uh, committee process where we would debate the amendments that would then get brought before the entire body for debate and then passage. And so uh, those committees tried to limit themselves to um, you know just a handful of amendments with a limited amount of time for debate. If we had had an unlimited budget and if this was a real convention of states, my guess is that there would be months and months of committee process, probably three, four, five months of committee process, followed by at least a month, two or three of general session where the amendments would ultimately be brought in front of the entire body of states for consideration. And so uh, we did in two days what I think would probably take six, probably six to eight months to get done uh, correctly. Right. But, you know, the other thing, too, is our country is getting close to 250 years old. We actually have never called for a convention of states. However, and people should know this, we actually have amended our Constitution 27 times. The first 10 amendments are the Bill of Rights, and you've got additional things that happened throughout the years. We had the right for women to vote. We've had uh, you know, prohibition. Then we had repealing pro prohibition. So we've had it where we've made a mistake with an amendment, and we've been able to correct that, that uh, mistake. So the truth is our country has a history of making changes to the Constitution. It's not anything new. And Article 5, as you mentioned, Bud, was exactly what the founding fathers intended. By the way, if uh, I know you've got the Convention of States uh, flag behind you there. But one of the really cool things was that uh, we were given uh, what are called challenge coins when uh, when we got there. So the challenge coin that I got has the Convention of State logo on one side, but it also has uh, Article Five. The uh, you know just kind of so for you to visually get an idea of, of what we're talking about here. Article Five, right, right there in that Constitution. Nothing radical about it. Uh, just a chance to basically fix the operating system like you would on your computer every so many years when you need to update based on technology changes. Well, here's the, the thing is how many representatives and senators that we have in Washington, D.C.? What, maybe 500, give or take? Or Some would say too many. You've got uh, yeah. hundreds, <laughs> 100 senators and you've got uh, there's a little over 200 uh, congressmen and women. Right. So you got three to four between three and four hundred uh, people plus the president. And uh, of course, you've got the uh, the justices of the Supreme Court. But anyway, uh, as far yeah. as the, the legislative branch and the executive branch, you've got uh, a couple hundred people plus the president working on this. And then, of course, you got the bureaucracy for us. And, and the lobbies and all that stuff. But here's my point. My point is this. This convention is bringing thousands of ideas, thousands of, of citizens in each state, not in D.C., but in the state 
to a convention together. Thousands of these people working together to figure out these solutions appropriately to our uh, constitution. If, and, and you know what's really what's so great about it is, and if people think about this, the original uh, reason for the constitution was these thirteen colonies that became states decided they wanted a federal government to have limited powers of protecting our borders and you know all that. Um, obviously, we found that Washington has uh, taken that and turned it on its ear. They, it's sort of like the tail is wagging the dog now. The, the federal government seems to have control of each state, whether it's their budget or uh, certain policies. And it's supposed to be the other way around. States are the ones who are supposed to basically control what's going on down in Washington, D.C. If they don't like it, again, they can amend it. Um, this is like having a board of directors. Like you said, thousands of boards of directors that are sitting in on a corporate meeting and saying, hey, we don't like this, the way the CEO is doing anything anymore. Let's change some of the rules or the bylaws for our country. So that that's kind of what they're saying. Um, but the other thing, real quickly, I want to say this too, you've got different interests. So like I said, Western states in the country have mineral, uh, precious minerals in the ground. They'd love to get out. There's uh, Where I live in Massachusetts, we'd love more coastal protection uh, against some of these wind farms that are encroaching on fishing areas. Um, our traditional fish, fishing industries are paying the price for it. New Jersey, the same thing. So coastal states would like to have more of a say as well. So you'll, you know, if a real convention of states happened, you'd also see a banding together of regions based on certain policy that would help them as well. So it, it, it it's a, uh, there's some central ideas like term limits, but there's also some things, like I said, um, that were talked about in this debate and passed or in this convention simulation that passed that we're talking about, uh, again, expunging mineral rights, uh, Yep. Putting them back in the and private sector hand. Yep, and water rights. You know, water rights and charge of the one. rivers and canals and all that stuff that the federal government has that they have no right to have in the first place. But here's think, the other thing: it'd be nice, Jeff. It would be really nice if we had this convention. But here's the goal: the goal is to get to a convention. But as we're getting there, the people that are sitting in the hot seat in D.C. are going nuts right now, and it's <laughs> it's going to get even harder and harder. And what you're going to see is two things. One is you're going to see these legislators try to do a, a resolution themselves similar to what we want to do and try to get it out and get it ratified. But it ain't going to work. And I, and I know why is because they're not going to have the same heart and desire of the people that you guys have. The second thing that's going to happen is as this continues to grow, it's going to get bigger and bigger, the media is going to get bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, we're going to have hundreds of millions of people involved in understanding this. That's why it's important. This is a huge movement. It's not just going to the Convention of States. It's opening the eyes of the American people to the government. Well, actually, what's great, bud, is that tomorrow is a surge day in Massachusetts. Mark Meckler is going to be in Massachusetts to... Uh... Uh, I'm going to be there to give a speech as well, talk about the value of this. But we're going to see hundreds of people up at the state house trying to tell the Massachusetts legislature why they should be doing this. But like you said, the federal government, the federal uh, senators, uh, representatives in the House, most likely are going to try to say, OK, hold on, we'll fix this ourselves. But by that time, it might be too late. And by too late, that's not a bad thing. It's just saying that, you know, you're you're watered down version of what changes need to happen are most likely not going to satisfy people. So the other thing that I think was real interesting, and there was a survey done of the commissioners afterwards, was what are the recommendations you have? And one of the things I thought was important was, A, 
not to be defensive about the whole idea of runaway convention. I think we need to not not be in politics. If you're defending, you're losing. You know, I think we have to say, look, there is nothing wrong. You tell me how the convention of states, the bar that's so high is going to cause people to do you know the wrong thing for our country. Secondly, I think what we need to do is have the convention of states simulation happen on a regular basis. Now, I know there's a cost to that. Um, but on the other hand, there's uh, each national party, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party host annual, uh, I'm sorry, uh, every four years host conventions, right? If we had a convention of state simulation every four years, for example, uh, people like myself, I pay to go to my Republican national convention to be a delegate. And I think you could get people to be willing to cover their own costs to go to these simulations and start practicing, basically start hitting home runs now on the on the practice field so that when the actual convention happens, you're ready yeah. to hit that, that grand slam and pass some things that are going to fix our country. Oh, absolutely. This was only the second one we had. The first one was in 2016, so it was quite quite a while back. And it, this one's a lot different than the original one. We learned some things about how to conduct that convention then. And all of that was put in not only from convention of state's point of view, but from those that attended. So we gathered all of that information, which improved and made the, the convention simulation that we held in Williamsburg a, a whole lot better. I was just beside myself as an American citizen seeing this convention. I was just so proud of all the legislators and the, and the commissioners that were there and, and how you conducted yourselves. Politics, politics is politics. And we had some of that too. It's, it's going to happen. But overall, it went very smoothly. And I think um, a lot of legislators, active and former legislators, left there going, there's hope. There's, there's a way out of this. And I think it was such a smart idea, again, to invite people who have served in office or are currently serving in office because they have that ability to get the message out there. They did it when they were running for office. They may still be working in some capacity where they can interact with the people of their state and say, this is what it's really all about. This is why you really need to be looking into this. And so I think uh, you, you created a lot of disciples to go out there and evangelize about it, if I can use a, a religious metaphor, sure. but evangelize about why it's important for us to exercise what was put in the Constitution as the emergency valve in case our country ended up doing what's happening now. So, for example, uh, I know a lot of people are upset that uh, presidents seem to operate now with executive orders to get around the will of Congress. And what one of the things that we talked about was that uh, the amendment to the Constitution that we came up with was saying that in, if a, a certain amount of states, a majority of states um, agreed that an executive order or other regulations put up by federal agencies that were impacting them negatively, if enough states agreed, we would actually be able to repeal that. Now, that doesn't include the presidential pardon, and it doesn't include presidential appointments for when they uh, come into office. But what it does do is allow uh, the states to uh, negate policy that might ultimately hurt them. And so that, to me, cuts right to the core of have, uh, changing the Constitution to make it more friendly to the states, which have been really trampled on right now. You know, uh, when Governor DeSantis rejected the, uh, uh, the money for the pandemic and wanted to keep businesses open, he was vilified. And they were trying to find every way to punish him financially, fiscally as possible. Absolutely. Uh, you know, he, we've seen migrants um, dumped into Florida and he's turned the tables on them by flying them right out to other states, <laughs> right? But my point is he shouldn't have to do any of that. Enough states yeah. getting together and saying, hey, your policy on immigration or the lack thereof on policy on immigration 
is causing us major financial issues and causing us safety issues. Let's fix this. And the states can, again, uh, override the, the president or the Congress on it. They could. The thing about if, it is, all, all, yeah, all that regulation, for instance, let's use Texas as an example, where Abbott was trying to put up these floating barriers and stuff on the Rio Grande to, to, to block them. And federal government was going, that's illegal. You can't do that, blah, 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 because, you know, we control the immigration, all that stuff. No, you don't. You control the policy that does it, but the state has a right in assuring inside their borders that we control who comes in and out of the state. It's not just a federal, but we having we don't have anything concrete to push back on the federal government. And this is exactly what you're talking about. This is, yeah, is it so now that we really need. So, Bud, you're you're you live in Texas. I live in Massachusetts. I know my state has a group that's on a, meeting on a regular basis to, uh, you know, plan for and prepare and and uh, and help the Convention of States national organization. So is that? I, I guess my question back to you might be: Is every state pretty much got one of these uh, organizations now? Are they, uh, you know, I know Rhode Island, like I said, didn't show up, but I mean, generally speaking, do we have most states? Uh, are there, is there a chapter for Convention of States in each one? Okay, first off, I live in Alabama. <laughs> oh, you're in Alabama. I'm sorry. Yeah, I live. In, that's all right. But yes, every single state, including <laughs> Rhode Island. <laughs> were, even, were you working it, in Texas for a while um, uh-uh. with the VA? No, okay. Nope. No, <laughs> I know. I, I probably look like a lot of people. You probably know. Everybody tells you, well, you're uh No, I'm not. You know, I was called Randy Quaid one day in, in Japan. That, that bartender <laughs> kept saying, you're Randy Quaid. I said, no, here's my military ID card. Anyway. <laughs> So, but yes, every state, we have a state director and supporters all over every state. We have two and a half million supporters in one system. And then that does include all the donors and stuff that are in there. So we're we're looking at 5 million people that are supporting one way or another, whether just signing a petition, volunteering, taking leadership positions. And our veterans are growing massively with this organization. I remember... In 2019, when I was the state director for Arkansas, we had somewhere about 82, 80 to 82,000 veterans. Now we got over 300,000. Oh, geez. They're, wow. they're coming in, and, and but you can see why. They're, they're totally frustrated. I'm a 20-year active Marine, and I'm telling you, this hurts us to see what's happening with, with our country because we believe in the Constitution. and to me, the federal government is failing every day. They're not paying attention to that constitution, at least not the one that we know. Great patriots of America. We're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to continue our discussion about the Convention of States with House Representative from Massachusetts, Jeff Dial. Don't go away. You want to continue to hear the rest of this great conversation from this great patriot. Article 5 of the United States Constitution gives we the people the power to put the federal government back in its constitutional box and expand liberty for all. Once two-thirds of the states pass similar applications, a convention of states will be called and there is nothing the federal government can do to stop it. This isn't a red movement or a blue movement. It's an American movement based on one fundamental question. Who decides? Who should decide the issues that affect your community? Washington, D.C. or you? The Convention of States Action Resolution applies for an Article 5 convention that would propose constitutional reforms limited to three topics. First, 
fiscal restraints on the federal government. With over $140 trillion in unfunded liabilities, we need a balanced budget. But our resolution also allows for caps on federal spending and taxation. The second topic is limiting the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. The Supreme Court has authorized the feds to have control over almost every aspect of our lives. The COS Action Resolution empowers us to restore the Constitution to its original intent and return power to the states and the people. Finally, term limits. Thanks to a corrupt ruling class in Washington, trust in the federal government is at an all-time low. That's why our resolution gives Convention of States Commissioners the power to send the career politicians packing, including the judiciary and other federal officials. So what can you do? First of all, sign the petition at cosaction.com and get as many of your friends and family to do the same. With your full address, your state legislators will know that you really are their constituents in their district. Call, email, or request a meeting with your state legislators to ask them to co-sponsor the COS resolution in their state. Get plugged in with your local Convention of States team so you can stay engaged, educate others, and respond to national calls to action. Our success depends on you. So we're inviting you to be part of history. Let's invoke the constitutional solution that's as big as the problem. And you're on the Patriot Cause, excellent Patriot, heart of the Constitution from Massachusetts, Jeff Dial. Let's continue our discussion about Convention of State simulation in Williamsburg, Virginia. No, I know. And, you know, I think one of the things that uh, we talked about was term limits. The the amendment, one of the sample amendments that was passed was changing the term limits for members of, of the House. Right now, a senator, a U.S. senator has a six-year term. And, uh, you know, if you were to serve, say, three terms as a senator, that'd be 18 years. So what we do is we capped the House members at uh, uh, nine nine terms, which is two-year terms. So that's 18, 18 years, yeah. trying, trying to basically match what a senator might might likely serve. Um, if you can't turn over people in the legislature, then you're never going to get people who are going to vote your way. And I can tell you, as a former legislator uh, running for office four times for local small office, you know, state representative, and then running for the big races uh, for U.S. Senate and for governor, I had to raise in my U.S. Senate race, I raised about three million dollars in the governor's race, only about two million. When I was running for state representative, I, I had to raise between 20 and 40 thousand dollars a year uh, every two years to, to get back into office. After a while, how many times can you keep going back to the people and saying, I need money to run for office before they start saying, I'm tapped out. You're doing a great job, but I'm tapped out. And so what happens is special interest groups pop up and they start to say, hey, look, we'll uh, we'll help you get some money you know, to run for office, um, but we'd like you to consider some of this legislation. And so ultimately what happens is if you're in for too long, you get purchased you know, by, I think, special yeah. interest groups that are that are out there. And look, I, I think some special interest groups do have our, our best interest at heart, but ultimately it's not really, I think, fair for them to have legislators basically in their hip pocket all the time. A legislature should, oh, legislator should always be able to look at every issue uh, starting from scratch without any 
any uh, predetermined sort of idea from an outside group. I think that's important. And, um, you know, I, I, this, this is going to help, I think, unlock one of those pieces of the puzzle that gets more people fresh faces through Congress for better ideas and, and better representation of uh, what younger folks are thinking, for example. Absolutely. Here's a question I got for you is we got to sit around and talk and speak our minds wide open, everybody, all the legislators, all the commissioners, the COS staff, we all got together like a big family and just said what was on our minds during that whole time process. Now, I know when you're a legislator in a specific state and especially a specific uh, political uh, branch or whatever you want to call it, you kind of hang out with the dogs, if you know what I mean. And it's just it's just the way politics works. You also work try to work across the aisle as much as you can, but normally you kind of do everything in packs. The interesting thing here is you're coming to a convention, you're meeting people from all the states, all over the place that are familiar with their legislative processes and how they operate. How did you interact with that? What, you know, what kind of feelings went through you when you learned, Oh, well, that's how you do this. And that's how y'all do that. You know, and what did you, did you get anything out of that? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause again, I, I served in the Massachusetts house and they use uh, Robert's rules of order, you know, parliamentary procedure and they're, um, you know, now I live in Massachusetts where the Democrat Party has supermajority in the House and Senate. So they can uh, pretty much override us on everything. If we try to propose an amendment to a bill that's coming through, they immediately have somebody stand up and, and call for a further study. And then any votes we have are uh, are only on that, that uh, discussion about whether it should be studied any further and not on the underlying issue. Now, if we were in a state where there was a, more of a balance and you actually had to bring some Democrats on board or some Democrats had to bring some Republicans on board to get things passed. You wouldn't have sort of these tricky parliamentary maneuvers that keep you from really having true discussions. So for me, what I loved was that the entire room, and there was Democrats from New Hampshire right behind me. You know, I'm from Massachusetts. New Hampshire's right in a row behind me. And there's Democrats there, but they, everybody put aside their partisanship and said, here's what I know about what's important Um that my state faces, but, but not just, again, not, not even regional stuff. Sometimes it was, it was the bigger picture issues, uh, the federal spending issue. You know, we all, uh, I think in, in a lot of States, we'd love to put the brakes on spending and say, look, let's do a rolling three-year average of what we spend. And you can't exceed that, which is what we passed as an amendment in this. It's what a lot of businesses do is make sure that their expenditures don't go crazy uh, one year to the next. They create that average of, of what your budget's going to be from the prior three years. So that's something that, that got done, again, with people from both sides of the aisle in support of that, because uh, they're free to act beyond the restraints of what was expected in that state that they're in, right? They they are sitting there. And again, you mentioned it earlier. It was awesome to see that room full of people from around the country. Well, I can tell you, when I heard the roll call uh, of every state being announced as uh, being there, it makes your heart swell and say, you know, I'm in. I'm involved in something way bigger than my own petty uh, little issues in my personal life, any petty issues that my state or a partisan folks might be fighting over. This is about the heart of our country, the operating system, the, the constitution. We have a real chance to show by example that when you call everybody together, we will think about this thoughtfully. We will set an example to any doubters 
uh, and to true believers that this stuff, this has to happen. So, um, yeah, the parliamentary procedure uh, in from state to state, the language might be slightly different, but generally speaking, procedure was was uh, about the same. We had a fantastic um, president of the uh, of the convention who uh, you know he comes from Louisiana, and Woody, uh, Woody was um, he was a gentleman. And yet at the same time, very firm and fair about making sure that people got their point in, but we moved on to the next uh, commissioner to hear what they had to say, because again, we had limited time. I thought Woody did a fantastic job. He's served in office for a number of years and he stays true. Um, he's a, an advocate in his own region. He owns a newspaper down there that he publishes about issues that are important to the the uh, country, the state that he lives in. So anyway, it just, incredibly thoughtful people uh, taking leadership roles during the convention. And by the way, what was so interesting too, is that you guys basically turned the keys over to a hundred of us and said, yeah. okay, once the convention starts, you guys vote in your president, you, you guys yeah. vote in your officers. And it's, and that's out of our hands. You know, you control the next two days. And that I loved it because uh, that, that showed that a hundred people from around the country that come from all different backgrounds said, we understand the core a way in which this this convention needs to operate. We operated under those uh, common values, and we achieved a passage of I think at least five five amendments or sample amendments that we think would be great model role, uh, starting points for discussion when a real convention happens. Absolutely, the job of convention of states, right, to do the simulation. We kind of acted like what Congress is responsible for. All we did was provide you a location, set it all up. So when you guys come in, like you're saying, hand the keys over. We had nothing to do with it. We <laughs> we sat in the we sat inside the committees just so that we could you know see how it was going on, but we had no vote. We had no say. Nothing. It was just you know the legislators and the commissioners that were there. You know, I think we were there just as like secretaries to write stuff down. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. You know, I think you guys actually have a, a webcast. Right? I think it's it's been recorded and is available to watch on demand, right? I think on the convention of yeah. states website. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I look, I, I'm a big proponent of that. I, I'm also a proponent of um, political candidates right now. I think the Democrats have uh, Kennedy running for president right now that, that's trying to be a truth teller. I think you've got uh, Donald Trump who served as president. I supported him in 2016. Uh, another guy named Vivek Ramaswamy, who uh, I think also is very interesting. He he, uh, his campaign seems to be modeled around trying to get back to the, the, the feeling of 1776 and, and making yeah. government work for us again. So I, I think what we're doing is we're also inspiring with the Convention of States future candidates and future leaders that say, look, the people are people are hungry for um, getting back to common sense, which was exactly what uh, our founding fathers, they, they were just trying to put some common sense in place, you know. You were born free. You should have the rights of uh, free men and uh, individual decisions, individual effort should be rewarded and uh, not just taken away by some arbitrary foreign power. So, you know, we, we've gotten away from that. And, uh, you know, especially when you see the billions of dollars going to the Ukraine. I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody's saying this, this makes any sense, but we're doing it anyway. So anyway, it's, uh, it's a great chance for us to have a reset, which is what we need. Um, I, I'm, I'm committed to helping with this project for as long as I can be a voice for it, uh, starting tomorrow again on the statehouse steps of Massachusetts. Um, but I, I look forward to uh, continuing the discussion. I'm glad you're putting a podcast out there that basically allows 
people like myself to talk more about it. I'm sure you probably have people on that are talking beyond just convention of state stuff, but um, it, it's the time has come. The momentum's there. All we need to do now is just, um, I think, get those states. I know that uh, it's it's it has to be filed. A legislation has to be filed in each state. It has to go through the process of being passed out of House committee, uh, you know, approved by the Senate and then on to the, the governor for signage. Um, but I, I believe we have is it 14 to 19 states. It's either passed through or is is in the process of passing through. We have we have 19 that are passed. Um, we have one Kansas that has passed, but there's procedural stuff that's got to be done before it's official. Uh, North Carolina is is this close, this close this year. So, you know that that we could be at 21 at the end of the year. That means you know, we're right down the road, right down yeah. the road. And I think again, the closer, the, the more momentum it gets, the the faster those last few states are going to start to close and um, and join in. So once you hit 34. Uh, I think Convention of States, what's nice is that this this organization is in place to basically, when this happens, you should be the first organization that gets the call and says, okay, you guys are in charge of, of setting this up in a, a host city. You're in charge of, uh, you know, providing the whole uh, sort of background of what has to, you know, be set up in place. I mean, you're going to have, you're going to have uh, oh, yeah. hotels and uh, <laughs> media circus and, uh, you know, it, it, it'll certainly be probably one of the biggest things that happens in our country's history. Absolutely. But it'll also, but it'll also be one of the most uh, exciting. And, and I think uh, uh, it'll just bring home the, uh, to patriots of our country that, uh, that no, there was no mistake made when we first set this country up. Well, it's going to be around the world. If this happens, the whole world's going to be watching this. It's not going to be just in the United States. Free people no. that want to be free all over the world is going to see this event. And and understand what's going on. There'll be interpreters there, news media from all around the world. Uh, this is not, this is not the RNC or the DNC, if you know what I'm talking about. This is a whole lot bigger than that. So I'm excited about it. I wanted to ask you this: if if you met someone and they didn't know about convention of states, you know, what would you tell them? How, how would you let them know how important this is? Yeah, you know. It's funny because I've served, like I said, in office for eight years. I've, I've known about Convention of States. People used to ask me, would you support you know, convention? I always said, of course I would. But I never really was as in-depth knowledgeable about it until I went and did it myself. And I think that's the uh, important thing is that people have got to hear directly from all the attendees uh, what it's about. And if I were to tell somebody right off the bat, I'd say, uh, almost like I, I said earlier, if you had a corporation that had a board of directors and the president was – and it's and it's his executive staff were all acting in a way that you didn't like it. You board of directors would have the right to change uh, the rules so that they would comply. And uh, that's exactly what the American citizens have is the right to get their state to uh, come together with other states to change the way rules are done so that they don't get manipulated. Uh, it is um, it, it's sad to see that uh, I hate to say like capitalism sort of infected our uh, our democracy i mean democracy you know our government decided that getting bigger and stronger and more powerful was the way to go they were supposed to be the referee in the field and you know everything else commerce and and parties and whatever you want to say foreign powers you know they would sort of call the shots and try to keep an even playing field and what ended up happening is that you know the media corporations they're all working hand in hand with people in office right now against 
the interests of the people of our country, economically, right. educationally, in so many ways. And and it, the imbalance is naturally going to cause one of two things to happen, either a revolution or uh, triggering of the Convention of States. And again, most people don't even realize that trigger, the Article 5, is right there in place. So what I guess I'd say to them is, you know, we don't have to go through a bloody revolution like we did, uh, you know, in the 1860s. We we can fix our, our problems with just, you know, the voting, uh, the bloodless revolution, you know, the elections and the voting, and and then again with the adjustment of our, our constitution. So I guess I would just ask people who don't know about it to to look at the uh, Convention of States website because you guys do a, a great job of kind of simplifying the message right off the bat. And then the next thing is to just um, find people in your state who can explain where it's at. Uh, you know, again, in Massachusetts, it's in committee right now. It still needs to come out. Um, but, you know, that that's an educational process that, you know, people like myself, I need to go to my former legislative colleagues and say to them, you guys really have to understand this is this is going to benefit everybody. This is going to it's not about party. This is about benefiting everybody. We're all going to do better if uh, we all have a stronger voice as states to push back on federal overreach. So I, I guess that's pretty much my message to anybody who doesn't know about it is get to know it right away. And, uh, and here's why it makes sense. Well, Jeff, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to speak with what I call common sense people that get it. And the Constitution is in us, especially those of us that were in the military. That's what we fought for. People say, well, you know, you're fighting for us and all that in a way. But the number one thing is, is when we put our hand up, it's the Constitution of the United States that we're saying the oath to. So we're protecting that. And it's, I'm, I'm just ecstatic at seeing the citizens that are coming together and doing the same thing. So well, glad but, to have you, know, you on the show and, and got any last words. Well, I would just say thank you for your service in the military. You put your lives on the line, you know, when people who serve in office, you know, it's a service of its own, but it's, it doesn't have the, the same severity of, of consequences that you have when you're, you're, you know, living under a tripwire over in Korea, or if you're being first in action uh, in a, in a hostile territory. So, I mean, the, what you've done, I appreciate I'm, I made it to Eagle Scout. That was my my top level of uh, that's awesome. Uh, when, yeah. I, when I was a kid, but I was taught, you know, every day uh, in scouting, uh, do a good turn daily and try to leave that campground better than you found it. And that's at 40 years old. I had a two daughters, a wife, and a small business that we own together. And I said, I got to do something. So I think if people out there listening, the one takeaway from all of this is even if you don't believe in convention of states, but you love some candidate running for office that's yep. speaking your voice, yep. get behind them and help them. Because honestly, if you don't help them, who is? So get involved in making sure this democracy works for you and leave that campground a little bit better than you found it each and every day. Thanks, bud. Yep. Yes, sir. I always say get off the couch and stop eating the bonbons. That's what I got to say. <laughs> Have a wonderful, wonderful day and look forward to getting you back on the podcast. Maybe we'll talk about some other things, but uh, glad to have you. Hopefully you have a, a, a wonderful week and upcoming weekend and hopefully you had a good Labor Day. With that, yep. take care of yourself, Jeff. We'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Thanks, bud. Stop rolling downhill like snowball headed for hell. Thank you, Will. Stand up for the flag and let's all ring the liberty bell. Let's make a Ford and a ship that would still last ten years like the should. 
the best of the free life is still yet to come The good times ain't over for good 